Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Welcome back to the show. So excited you're all here. If you are with us live, please, please, please come hang out with us. Chat in the comments. I can't see you unless you like say hello, give us a wave. Yeah, we're, we're here for it. We look forward to all of your questions as the show goes on. So welcome. I'm so excited for the show. Today I have Alex Titsi with me. Alex, hello. Hey, good afternoon. Good, good afternoon. Yes. It's uh, it's Thursday. It is. It's Friday Eve, right? It is. I'm not sure where this week went. I feel like it, poof. Yeah, evaporated. It's Q4, right? That's what happens. Everything sort of gets. Yeah, it was, it was like, you know, June yesterday, and now it's like I have to do Christmas shopping. It's like, shoot. <laughs> oh, don't say it. I'm not ready. Oh, amazing. Well, I'm so excited to have you. Alex is a quick intro here, and then we're going to get his story from his own from his own point of view, which I can't wait to share with you. But Alex is the vice president of marketing who is well-versed in building and leading world-class marketing teams, business development functions, and customer success teams. It's not every day we hear of a marketing VP in charge of so many different functions. And I can't wait to circle back and unpack all things. Before we get there, Alex, you tell us, what, how, what's your story? How did you get to this wonderful place of uh, supporting all of these great functions? Yeah. Um, so I think in terms of what I've learned in the marketing uh, world is um, not a lot of people take the journey that I did. And starting in sales, um, and then migrating at, at some point into marketing, most people are like, huh, you, did you become allergic to money? Did you want to interact with customers less? Um, none of those things are true. I just, um, yeah. So, I mean, I started out in sales. I was uh, a business development, uh, rep, you know, when I first came out of college, pounding phones, hundred, 200 dials a day, got really sick of that. So, um, you know, really worked hard to get promoted into an account executive position, and kind of moved through from there. Um, it was what, 2019. Uh, I finished at uh, FR Secure as uh, one of our uh, top sales reps for the year. And president comes over to my desk. He's like, I need you to make a bigger impact. Um, I was like, uh oh, he's going to double my quota. Um, he's like, what do you think about marketing? And I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, I love our marketing team. They're awesome. It's like, what would you think about leading that? And I was like, Okay, well, I'm not technical, like I'm not a writer. Um, I have absolutely no graphic design skills. Um, so I don't really know what, what you want me to do here. Um, and he's like, I just want you to get everybody on the same page and make sure that all of the efforts that we're doing from a marketing standpoint align with where we're going as a company. Um, I was like, all right, well, I can handle that. Um, and the first couple of months, man, it was, was trying. I was, you know, trying to convince, I, I walked into a wonderful marketing team. I had an amazing digital expert, a couple content writers, an event planner. I had to win them over because they all looked at me like, 
you were annoying me a few months ago with all these sales uh, sell sheet requests. Um, you know, why are you in charge now? Um, and it was super fun. I got to learn so much from them. Um, but where I added the experience and where I think I kind of started to bring everything together was actually having talked to the customers like face to face, knowing how they buy, knowing why they don't buy. Um, and not just from like a market research or an indirect um, fashion, but like actually hearing it myself and being able to apply it. So um, that's where I think, yeah, I, I started to start to make some headway. And then over time, I've just learned lots more and, you know, started to be somewhat, uh, you know, on the execution side of marketing too, not just like, hey, can you do this? <laughs> Yes, it's uh it's hard to not I I learn by doing. So I appreciate that you sort of got to get your hands dirty to figure it out before you can actually tell somebody what you need. It's hard to tell somebody what you need when you yourself haven't really like sat in it and done it. Absolutely. At least from my, ex from yeah. my experience. So I totally totally relate. Um before we unpack this because this is what I want to understand and what I want to help folks understand both on the sales and marketing side is, is that bridge that you've created. Um, and I'm really looking forward to getting to that conversation. We, before we do though, we're all human and life is hard and we're in Q4, as we mentioned, which makes it even harder for some reason. What's one challenge you're currently having? What's, what's hard right now, maybe in your way, making it feel like you're pushing a boulder a little more uphill than you would like. I think it's the constant desire to like innovate and improve and like be future looking. But at the end of the year, you're like, but I need to get everything in. Like I, everything has to be in by December. So how do we make things move quick? Um, and so trying to play the long game while also not losing focus on like the day to day and like supporting all of our revenue targets. Um, yeah, it's just, I, it's hard sometimes to balance focus, I think. It is, especially when December's breathing down your neck, for sure. And yeah, and in our world, I mean, Q4 is is nuts. Uh, so I've been in the cybersecurity world, everybody forgot they were supposed to be compliant this year. So they have to call us and like, hey, we need to get this done by the end of the year. It's like, okay, you know it's October, right? I I know I sent you a message in January. Why, why did we wait? <laughs> oh. Yes, when they have to check those boxes before January 1st, the struggle is real. It's like, yeah, I, I totally get it. Q4 is nuts and it just goes by so quickly. So, and that balance, you're, you're right. I feel you are not alone in struggling with wanting to be, you know, put some seeds down towards those long-term gains, especially now with the sales cycles being longer with more channels having to be activated, surrounding your audience more effectively, uh, you know, and having to plant those seeds as early as humanly possible, but then at the same time, figuring out where that low hanging fruit is and capturing that and not losing it, moving on it quickly. It's yeah. Struggle is real. I'm with you. I'm with you. I know you're not alone. We're both not alone in that. Let's start to unpack this beautiful bridge that you have built. Because when we talked months ago, now wild months ago, uh, in our prep call, one of the things you mentioned is that you were 
you were actually doing a bit it through in your prospecting, in your conversations with sales, you were sort of, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm going to butcher this really hard and I don't want to get you in trouble with your marketing team by any stretch of the imagination. So, so if I get this wrong, absolutely correct me, but you were almost doing your own marketing efforts just on that very localized, personalized level of getting the buyers what they needed without necessarily like always having to go to marketing. My understanding, do I remember that right? Yeah, yeah. And not for like, I never wanted to like cut them out by any means, but it just got to the point where I was trying to solve personalization and like market research on a very local level. And so it, for me, it just made sense to just do it on my own. Um, really started to get into like the analytics side of the buyer journey and starting to figure out, okay, how can I, like if I sold someone a risk assessment, what's their next most likely service that they're going to purchase? Or like, when's the appropriate time to follow up with them and trying to create as much automation for myself of like knowing, Hey, this is where I'm supposed to reach out to somebody in the utility field. Cause it's their buying cycle. Just trying to, I, yeah, I mean, just trying to make it very um, data-driven in how I was able to go out and sell because I am not an extrovert. I am not like a, you know, loud in your face type of salesperson that's always wanting to be in front of you. So like I had to try to make sure that my energy is very focused so I didn't drain myself out, honestly. I think that's fair. And I actually think buyers probably really appreciate you for not being that way. And I, when you're talking about the automation side of it and you're talking about the personalization, you know, there, it's hard to do both well. So what, how are you, I know we're diving into the weeds pretty quickly here. We'll pull back up in a second, but the, I think the how is critical here because it's where I find salespeople get a bit overwhelmed um, potentially, or even, you know, cause the, the automation isn't really supposed to be the thing they do. They're just supposed to be making those phone calls, doing those follow-ups and getting folks what they need at the end of the day while marketing is enabling them to do that effectively. So what was it a spreadsheet that you just sort of had listed of all the people you need to follow up with when? Did you have a, a like an Asana or a Monday where you sort of put in tasks that repeated on certain days? Like what was sort of your process of reminding you of who those folks were and when to follow up with them was in Salesforce. What was the, yeah, uh, I used HubSpot. Um, it was nice. We'd build out the sequences through there. Um, and then what was really cool is like the ability to micro segment out all of your customers by, you know, industry, what they bought, their company size. Like, so you could just kind of in a quick snapshot, know like, Hey, today, these 20 people have about the same characteristics and they're on the same journey. So my talk track can be, you know, uh, repeatable versus trying to always switch gears in your head. Like, okay, who am I talking to? What's important to them? Um, because then too, you only have to read a few new news sources in the morning instead of like trying to tackle everything. So. It's so clear now why you're, <laughs> why the marketing team sort of scooped you up because you were already, you know, if you could take that kind of segmentation and that automation that you're doing in HubSpot, scale it across the organization, which now also makes sense to me why you're working with 
business development and customer success, that seems like a perfect alignment in terms of your capability and their needs. Is that sort of how that path went for you? Yeah. And honestly, that was just the fun part for me. Um, like I really enjoyed getting into the weeds on content creation and event planning, all those things. But I think what was missing for us at the time was that bridge between sales and marketing. And we didn't want to interrupt like our account executives with marketing, you know, style activities, but business development was, was easier, right? If we needed to run a market research campaign, those people are perfect for it, right? They're hungry. They're always dialing. They're getting emails, activities rich. And then on the customer success side, it was really helpful if we ever wanted to like launch a new product or do betas or get feedback. Um, they're the perfect customer advocate where it wasn't coming across salesy um, to get that. And then for us on the data side, it was like, okay, how can I help my CSMs be better at their job knowing and like predicting that customer path out? It's like this, it, it's this interesting combination that you sort of found yourself in the intersectionality, so to speak, of sales and ah uh, and marketing ops really is that is yeah. that fair yeah i think that's super fair i would not call myself like a creative genius by any means so i think marketing ops is a really good spot <laughs> so so you took so you talked about segmentation right where you figured out certain people was that that sounds really manual is that yeah, it was, was at first <laughs> trying to just learn all the HubSpot, you know, logic filters and things like that. Um, it was certainly more manual than I think I wanted it to be. Um, but we hadn't invested in like a data lake or, you know, different BI tools that could do it for you. So I know there's tons of automation out there now that can assist with it. Um, but yeah, at the time we didn't have any. So yeah, yeah, for sure. And so you create these segmentations you looked at. I think this is so interesting because normally you'll look at um, persona stuff, right? So what kind of stage of company and size and titles and you know who you want to talk to and what messaging you want. It sounds like maybe you did some of that, but more importantly was where they were in the buying journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I think... You know, building out your ICP is super important, ideal customer profile. And you need to know that and you need to know what like keeps them up at night and how they make decisions. But every one of those people is dealing with a different environment, right? Um, so like for us, it was, okay, have they even laid the foundation for an information security program? Because if not, let's not sell them all the cool buzzword things that are made for a more mature customer even though that's probably what they're being pitched by everybody else um so just trying to really understand them at a unique like individual level was really important in terms of there seems to be this shift that's happening right now in the universe and it's been coming for a while but i feel like we're all sort of having this like aha moment of it's here and I and we can all like actually see it in the sense that when leads come in they should not be immediately sent 
to sales. No matter how good they look on paper in terms of checking all of the boxes and company side, the ICP essentially, but we're all like, oh, we cannot send them to sales. Yeah. Are we, am I crazy? No, I mean, yeah, because you don't want to, dr- you don't want to scare them away. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, they may have requested a, you know, a contact form or they downloaded a resource or whatever, but there's still so much that needs to be understood if they are ready to make that buying decision. Because, um, yeah, the moment you stick a salesperson on, like, they go into that cycle and, if they're not ready for it, they go away. <laughs> yes, Trevor, we're preaching here. We're we're here for it. We're. Uh, I think we also want to be clear. Think now that I see Trevor here because we've been having a great debate behind the scenes around leads, and on gating, and leads aren't going anywhere, especially with third party cookies taking you know exiting surge left and. Uh, you know, needing to have an audience that you can work with and cultivate over time now. I think we're all at a place of accepting that it's also that great, easy measurement that you can kick up to the exec team to show progress. So leads are here to stay. Yes? Yeah, absolutely. We need to capture them. So what happens for you, you know, being this lovely bridge between marketing and sales now, how are you thinking about that nurture path of what you, you get a lead, you don't get them to sales. We're in agreement there. So what do you, what do you do? You can't just let them sit there either. So how right. are you thinking about this new world order? That's not really new, but kind of new. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. It's been coming for a while. Um, and our jobs are going to get a little bit more challenging. I think as there's a, I don't know, a resistance, sometimes it feels like to gate content, everybody wants to make it available. That's cool. You want people to read as your uh, information as much as humanly possible, but as cookies go away now, I don't know who the heck read it. How do I follow them? How do I make sure I stay in front of them? Um, and so you go back to, okay, well, do I gate the content? And then what do I do, right? So, okay, so now I've identified who they maybe are. Um, now what campaign or what messaging do I need to put them in so that I can start to warm them up a little bit more? How can I have that credibility and validation um, around my company and our brand to know that when somebody does finally contact them, that it's not just to sell them something. How can they feel like we're going to add value to their life? And educate. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So let's talk about content for a second, because it's really like the the centerfold of any business, really, in terms of success. And we're talking about gating versus ungating. So in your experience of still needing to gate and know who people are what kind of content are you gating are you gating everything are you being selective are you putting more out on blogs but then longer form behind a form what's sort of your thinking and process with your team yeah um i mean for where we are as an organization i just want all the eyes possible so i don't gate 
almost anything. We uh, we'll do like an annual write up that will gate for the first couple of months of its existence. But then, you know, the timeliness of that starts to dwindle. And so it's like, okay, well, let's just get it out there um, for all to see. Um, so yeah, I've always leaned more on the don't gate it and hope to God that karma works its way back towards you. And you're like, if I gave them a really good resource, they'll want to buy from me. Um, that's not always true, but you can hope for it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky balance though. Yeah. So do you finally, how do you capture that lead then? Is it not content? Is it a, is it a demo? Is it a contact sales? What's that final like? next step yeah um i mean it can be you know if it's on one of our like you know more product driven uh, opportunities definitely trying to get them into a demo get them to start interacting maybe do a proof of concept um otherwise yeah it's starting to book time with one of our smes along with a sales rep um but really trying to promote the value of like you get to pick somebody's brain who's an expert in what you're looking for mm as the main source of content, but then to the side, we have a salesperson that's going to follow up with you. <laughs> like, yeah, after we give you all the good advice, how do we start to implement? We do something similar. We have um, our second call is a strategist call. So we sort of do like a quick chem call of wanting to just understand the lay of the land of where you are and what your needs are. So we bring the right people to the table and then we'll do an hour session with one of our subject matter experts to really like understand ask questions sometimes we just say we're not for you here's all these ideas like you you got this off you go right like square peg round hole sort of scenario and so i there is like major power in your people and yeah, getting them absolutely. in front of customers i love that how do your smes feel about that do you have like a special team that's just dedicated to that or do you pull people off of product to like come have a conversation yeah so um Depends on the day and how caffeinated they might be. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we have a really awesome team. It does become a challenge, though, like, especially, like, as we hit the end of the year where they have tons of billable work. It's like, okay, how much time can we have them spend talking to someone that may or may not lead to revenue? Um, you know, while we want to help everybody in the world, we got to keep the lights on. We got to get people paid. So it's, it's striking that unique balance. But we're blessed from um, an engineering side that most of our engineers also have an MBA. So they're not just like tech folks. They actually like to talk about business and the implications of that. Um, I've not had that anywhere else. So it's a really nice <laughs> superpower to have here. Um, but yeah, no, that we have extroverted engineers, which I have not usually come across. So. It's really unusual. Yeah, that's that's a a wonderful unusual combination it sounds like you have it in spades so rock on and way to use that to your um company's collective advantage i think that's amazing uh in terms of what you're measuring then so if you're not really gating um you're you're letting them tell you the customer tell you when they're essentially ready to talk to an sme and a salesperson which i think is definitely a way to go if you're, I, I mean, but you got to be attributing the success somewhere. So what is that for you all? How do you know you're doing okay? Yeah. I mean, for us, we, you know, have kind of started to narrow down, like, here's the minimum number of people that we need to actually book a time with that SME 
knowing the conversion percentage beyond that. So then because we're not gating, we know that we just need X amount of unique visitors each month um, from, you know, three to four different channels that it will, and it's at least been consistent in the last three months. I can't tell you if it's going to continue to be, but we know if we get, let's just say 6,000 people to visit our site this month, we know 30 to 40 of them will convert into some sort of contact request. And then from there, we know, okay, maybe five to 10 of those will end up a customer 90 days from now. So that's clear. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, but I can, I can tell you this. We don't always know what that like the value of that visitor is going to be ahead of time. Um, because we do so many different services, some are for sure more valuable than others, um, in terms of revenue. So it's like, how do you start to de-identify or identify that, um, that right customer that's going to give you the maximum revenue. We're still working on that. Let's talk, let's jump to top of funnel real quick because, and not real quick, we're going to sit here for a second. I don't want to lie to you all. Um, you know, we've been sitting in like the bottom of the funnel, the functionality of like how people come in and convert. Cause I think it's important to understand that piece before we talk about then how you activate the top of the funnel. So it's I would imagine, and, and you tell me in terms of your experience, but I would imagine if you were to gate everything, it would be a very different strategy up top of funnel. Totally. If you, right? So what's your strategy top of funnel then if you're not, if you're trying very hard to not gate and just have as many eyeballs as possible? Yeah, so we're really active on blogs, social, um, we try to publish a ton of like free tools. So like people can go and, you know, download an instant response plan or stuff that they can take home with them. Um, outside of that, a ton of in-person events. Like I feel kind of old school in that way that we're like, we're out shaking a lot of people's hands still in like a post COVID world. You're like, I don't know about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just anything to generate awareness on the brand. Um, that's always hard to attribute that spend back to like, did it work? Did those people come from that event? I don't know, sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think, in, yeah, in terms of top of funnel, it's all about just trying to continue to expand that network, really leveraging our employees to be advocates of the brand um, to then drive people um, you know, to the site and convert that way. So many questions. Let's start with employee advocates because I find that that's sometimes really hard, especially when you have more introverted. It looks like you're on the lucky side where you got some extroverts over there who are a bit more willing. Is that really what's coming into play? Those SMEs love with those MBAs love getting out there and talking. There, there's definitely a few of them that love it. Um, we do have some that like hate social media to its core. Um, they think it's evil. Um, you know, which I guess in their line of work, they see the repercussions of people getting spooked and things like that. So I get, um, but we have to do a lot of like brainstorming with them of like, Hey, what do you think about posting? You know, we have to lead them to the decision that they need to post. Um, and that it's important and valuable to the people that they're connected with. Cause if you just tell them like, Hey, this is what we posted. Here's the hashtags you need to use crickets. 
Like no, nobody's going to copy and paste that and throw it on social. They hate it. Um, so for us, it's been really trying to activate what's important to our own employees and treating them almost like customers from a marketing standpoint um, of like, okay, what are they passionate about? What would they be willing to share? Because they have the best content. It's in their head. Um, it's just trying to get them to actually say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's amazing that that's such a, an important piece, right? To not just put a post and a hashtag in front of them, but to actually figure out what they want to be writing about. Are they, are you actively then building an, are they building their own audiences? Are they just contributing to the bigger brand? How, when you're talking about employee advocacy, like what does, where's the line between the individual built brand building that impacts the company or vice versa? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's a, for us in the service side business, because I like to say, and you know, I'm sure as my company sees this, they're going to be like, oh, he said it again. But in a non-human trafficking way, I sell people, right? Like then their time and their brains. So to be able to have them be more vocal, be more visible is super important for us because it, you know, directly ties back to, okay, well, Blue Team Alpha hires really well-known, educated, um, and giving people. And so there is that balance because you don't want them to like go off in left field and like start talking about their political views and like all of the things that they're not supposed to say around the dinner table. Um, so you have to do some coaching that way. Um, but we're really lucky in the fact that our employees tend to be very mission driven. And so they, oh, and they love, the brand of Blue Team Alpha and our founder and what he stands for. And so everybody kind of wants to prop that up um, and use BTA as like a shield that they can go and, and use as a platform almost. That's awesome. I, yes, to this. I think when you have some wonderful folks who are, who want to get out there and talk about it, enabling them and supporting them to do that, giving the right platform, I think it's just a beautiful approach that I haven't really heard people figure out. So thank you for, for showing us the way, Alex. Um, in terms of the top of funnel and not being able to really, you have to have some sort of KPIs to know that, is it the, is it the website's uh, visits and engagement? Like what sort of those leading indicators that like, we got enough activity going. We're good. We're going to hit that 6,000. Yeah. I mean, we spend a lot of times in our analytics tools of like what visitors are finding, what pages. Um, we're trying to work right now on like the chat bot um, and then using AI to start helping people find their way down their journey without interacting with the salesperson. Um, but yeah, I mean, it all kind of lives on the website um, and then our social media engagement. Um, really trying to use um linkedin as a platform for our buyers i think some of the changes that linkedin's made with uh you know if you have external links all of a sudden you're like not showing up and so trying to like comb through that um and using linkedin almost as a separate funnel than what we push to our website interesting uh, yeah i mean a lot of content ends up being similar but um 
yeah, for the sake of making sure that it appears on feeds, trying to keep it within the platform. Yeah, LinkedIn doesn't really like that you leave. They're not really big fans of that whole external linking thing. Yeah, they got real picky yeah. about it recently, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it sounds like you're almost building to Trevor's point over here, uh, especially easy to, not easy to do, but is possible with LinkedIn, almost a community around the brand. Is that kind of what's naturally happening through keeping everything in the platform, using content, using your ad, your ad employee advocates, and then, you know, those profiles in your company page? I think that's certainly what we're hoping to build. Um, whether or not it's there yet, we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh, but it's been it's been good so far, and it's just it's something different that I don't see a lot of other companies in our space trying to do. So, hoping for at least a little while that we have a head start on it. Yeah, yeah, it takes it takes a long time. It takes a while. Uh, what are your what are you measuring on LinkedIn then? If you're keeping everything in platform, you obviously don't have you know analytics. <laughs> you can't see LinkedIn's analytics, although wouldn't we all love to see that? Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what what are the leading indicators or KPIs that you're paying attention to on that side? Anything? Uh, definitely engagement rate, new followers. Um, yeah, I mean, those are the two that we really want to track. It's nice to know impressions, but some of that ends up being fluff. Um, so, really tracking engagement rate is the piece of content that we're producing being shared by people other than our employees. Because um, again, going back to that advocacy, it's nice, but sometimes it can inflate your numbers where it's just like, mm -hmm. you're selling to yourself internally. Like, is it actually making a difference out in the market? That's a really good point. In terms of the content you're sharing on LinkedIn, is, uh, is it different than what you're sharing elsewhere? Or is it, um, you mentioned having some tools that you have on your website. Do you bring those over to LinkedIn? Are you doing any sort of, like what content are you leaning into from a LinkedIn standpoint? Yeah, it's more tips and tricks, shorter form content, um, and then reserving kind of the longer form tools um, for the website. So yeah, just trying to make it more snack sized. We're working on getting more video content out there. Um, because, you know, as you guys have seen, it's, it doesn't have to be overproduced anymore either. Like it doesn't have to be in a studio. And, yeah. It, it's awesome. I, I follow this, uh, this old sales uh, leader that walks down his block every day and like, just does a selfie and like gets thousands of followers and it's amazing. So it's like, okay, well, why can't we do that? I'm sure, uh, you know, our CEO takes a walk once a week. So like, you know, let's just get him on camera. And your SMEs too, right? Like if you could just do little in interviews like this and showcase them too. It's amazing. Uh, going on to LinkedIn Live for me, like tripled my podcast numbers. It's been wild. It's, and with StreamYard, I use StreamYard and you can, um, and I think the other tools do this too, Restream I think does this too, where like I had somebody on my show on a Tuesday uh, on my founder show and she broadcasted it out to her audience so it got like this double whammy and not that I could see her data because it's on her audience and her that's hers 
but I could see the comments and the likes and the engagement, which was way higher over there than on my stuff because it's her audience of people who are already following her, right? So the power of that too, that you just don't account for when you're like, I'm just gonna go live and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, extending your network through other people is, I mean, it's every marketer's dream. If I can get free uh, new visitors, like all day long, that's, that's, that's the magic. <laughs> it is, and, and I do think LinkedIn does that well. So hats off to you for to looking at video. I think it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, what other channels, you talked about LinkedIn, you talked about the website, how else are you driving to the website? What other channels have you activated? Um, it's so, it's so mind boggling to me that if you're not gating and it's so hard to measure down funnel without that, like, are, are you spending money in media or are you being really focused and more intentional on the organic side considering? Um, right now it's all organic. We don't spend anything on ads or, um, like promotions, things like that. Um, we will at some point, you know, cause it, it does allow, like once you've built your base and you are ranking organically, then you can start to add gas to that fire. Um, but you know, at least from my point of view, until you have a fire that's actually going, it does you no good to, to spend a bunch of money on something that probably isn't going to work. Um, and is super competitive. So yeah, in terms of ads, we don't do anything there. Um, we're trying to build out more of like a Twitter following, but that's a whole different um, persona that's on Twitter, right? It's not a, usually not a C-suite level person. It's more of our technical uh, champion versus potentially a buyer. So we're trying to do threat feeds and like live updates, that kind of stuff. Um, so much different content going on there. And then starting to stand up YouTube as well. I mean, it's the second largest search engine might as well make use of it. So Absolutely. Especially if you're going to lean into video, why not syndicate it, right? It's easy to do, especially with YouTube. So easy to do. I love the organic approach. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer. In terms of, are you looking at, uh, in, not Instagram, maybe Instagram threads and Instagram and TikTok and all those fancy visual platforms that are terrifying, but also like kind of taking off and we don't always know what to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, at my last organization, I think the only person that liked our link or our uh, Instagram stuff was my mom. So like that wasn't really good. It's like, thanks mom for your support, but that wasn't, that's not what we're looking for here. Um, you're not going to buy anything from me. Um, so I don't know. I, the Instagram is like, I think you kind of have to have it because you're supposed to, we don't really use it very much. Um, we've debated TikTok, but like going back to, you know, they're stealing all of our data and it's not hosted in the United States are, our SMEs aren't exactly thrilled to, to be putting content on there. That's a fair point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I've heard great success stories for companies that do B2B sales using TikTok. Um, I, I am not a user of the platform myself, so it's hard for me to like 
be able to dive in and know like what to promote and how to best interact with an audience there. Um, but you know, I'm sure I'll hire somebody younger than me who is a TikTok expert. They get paid a lot of money now. Um, like I saw a posting for a TikTok expert uh, for I want to say it was like Meta or one of the other like big brands, and it was like three hundred thousand dollars starting salary. It's like, dang, I should have learned that. Um, but it's all good. <laughs> That's, yeah, it is wild how if for some companies on the B2B side, um, maybe not in cyber, because I think that's fair, are having, um, are having great success with, with TikTok, because it's where buyers are, and it's a great place to educate, especially if you're doing those short, clippy, um, those short, clippy videos already, but I totally appreciate that. There's a great debate right now on whether it's going to be banned or not. So taking a pause until the government sees what needs to happen there. Yeah. Um, I do find threads interesting. I'm, I, I hear good things about that. So I'm thinking about dabbling there because the algorithms haven't kicked in yet. And so there's, uh, it's a little bit easier to see the people you're actually following and the content they're producing versus these other, like LinkedIn. I follow so many people and they're producing content and I don't, unless I literally go to their profile and look at their latest posts, I don't see it all the time. It's so frustrating. So it sounds like Threads is a blessing that way. Um, so I'm interested in, in dabbling, but I think this is a really beautiful orchestration you have of tightening up the bottom of the funnel in uh, in that automation piece, in that sales piece, not contacting anybody or even asking for a lead until somebody is raising their hand and saying, yes, I want to talk to an SME or salesperson, put me in touch. And then it sounds like you're, you're segmenting based off of where they are and intent of what they bought or what you're looking to buy. And then doing some beautiful personalization automation through HubSpot. Um, all the way down from BD up into customer success. Man, those BD and customer success seasons love us. <laughs> they, uh, they certainly uh, seem to enjoy that I'm not flooding them with um, as many like nonsense leads as I maybe used to. Um, so that part's nice, but I think there's always the want from like CEOs like, hey, I would really like if you guys did more lead generation. I need more sales leads. <laughs> it's like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> Only good ones. Uh, it seems like you've done a really beautiful job of, of building this bridge, making your different teams incredibly happy with the way that you've brought the automation into effect, that personalization. Uh, and that buyer's journey. Where are you headed to next? What's your, you mentioned trying to figure out more on the website. Is that really, you know, how are you going about that and what are you looking to accomplish? Um, you know, I think now that we've started to figure out that lower funnel and like sales enablement, we know that like once somebody goes into that, you know, sales world that they're going to be taken care of. They have the right collateral. They, you know, have that journey light, light lined up. Now it's how do we continue to boost? Um, you know, now that the wheels are starting to turn, how do we continue to add gas? Um, so 
you know, doing a lot of A-B testing, you know, in our messaging right now to figure out, you know, how to increase open rate, how to get click-through rate to continue to, to you know, skyrocket if, if possible. Um, and then, you know, from there, you know, like kind of like what we mentioned earlier, then starting to explore ads at some point. Uh, it doesn't make sense for us now, but, you know, would like to, you know, I, I think it's a good way to, to boost that top of funnel. Um, it's not as organic, but you're reaching a different audience. So I think that's kind of where we're headed is how do we just increase overall brand visibility. I think the beautiful thing about LinkedIn is that you can, especially from a business audience, um, really be able to meet a ton of people where they are, but not everybody uses LinkedIn or isn't as active on it. I find that sometimes I get messages from people I connected with, um, you know, months ago that are finally responding to my, my message um, of asking to be on the podcast or just saying hello, like I'm not even doing anything, um, you know, salesy because that's not what, you know, that's not what I'm about when I'm on LinkedIn. It's not my role. So I, yeah, so I do think, you know, waiting for that ceiling is super smart, you know, looking at that organic looking at LinkedIn that way and then figuring out where to go next. And I love that you're talking about segmentation on your website too. I think that's incredibly thoughtful of how do you learn that now before you start spending money later. So yes. Oh my gosh. I hope everybody was taking notes because this was fantastic. I mean, it's been the never ending roulette of gating and ungating. And like, if you ungate, then what do you do and how do you measure success? And I think this is a really lovely example of how to tie it all together, where to really care about those metrics, what metrics to care about when, and then how you wire up that HubSpot to really kick in for you in the, in the long run. So thank you for spilling the tea here, Alex. I appreciate you. No, it, it's uh it's an ever evolving journey and I've and thankful to be around a lot of really smart people. So um, I will not take credit for most of the thoughts that come into my brain. I learn a lot from my surroundings, so. Yeah, I mean, what an amazing leap you made. So I'm sure that when you had to walk into that marketing team, it was very much of, a, a, like you mentioned earlier, it's that time to learn. And it sounds like you took it all in. So hats off to you, sir. I want to end on my, what I love to call my people first question, because you're more than a marketer. What in the last few years in the changing of all of the things post COVID world that we live in, um, have you picked up any new hobbies or traveled to anywhere new? Have you experienced something that maybe you wouldn't have given the lockdowns and the COVID and all of like the the half last full sort of feeling of it all. Yeah. Um, well, my wife and I, we were lucky enough to have a COVID baby. Um, so that certainly was, uh, was unique. Uh, we had to spend a lot of time together that way. Um, you know, family couldn't visit things like that. And so I think in the evolution of that and being able to work remotely now so much easier, I had to spend so much more time with my family. Um, which is super, super cool. Um, yeah, I love it. I mean, 
just before we got on here, you know, uh, my little son Hank comes running in there, you know, it gives me his little, little head bonk before he goes up and takes his nap. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that it took a pandemic for all of us to realize that flexibility is important, that you can do your job from almost wherever. Um, but, you know, super thankful, I guess, that uh, that happened because, yeah, I mean, family time would be super, super different um, if I was in an office, you know, five days a week. And hats off to the, the parents and, and families that do have to be in an office full time. Um, but I, I certainly can't imagine a world where I don't get to do this. So. Uh, yes, I totally agree. We were remote before remote was a thing. Um, and so it was just another day at the office for us. Uh, but it's so nice that more people get to really get the benefits of working from home, especially when you have kids. I have two eight-year-olds. So um, yes to that. I wouldn't trade it for the world of the extra time I've gotten with them. And I'm so grateful for it. So Alex, thank you so much. This was amazing. Where can people find you? Uh, I mean, they can find me yeah, on LinkedIn, things like that. Um, I, I try to be everywhere all at once because that's what we're supposed to do as marketers, right? <laughs> you won't find me on uh, Instagram, though. Sorry. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, and share. This episode is brought to you by MKG Marketing, the digital marketing agency that helps B2B complex brands get found via transparent digital ads. It's by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MPG Marketing. And if you want to be a guest, come find me, DM me, let's hang out. And I will have better tech next time, I promise. Thank you all so much, Alex. Thank you. Thank you.